Well, good morning, church. Good to see you guys. Happy Mother's Day to you all mothers. Uh, if it weren't for you, we wouldn't be here, so I wouldn't exist. Um, but truly, we honor you and love you. I know that uh, Mother's Day can come with a lot of celebration and a lot of complexity, and so we just love you and honor you in this place. Um, you carry uh, an essence of, I think, of God that uh, is so unique. So I would love for us, we're just going to do a lot of prayer today. You guys okay with a little bit of prayer? Uh, we're going to pray for you guys. Um, if you feel comfortable, if you're a mom, whether you're biological, adoptive, or spiritual, would you stand up? And we're just going to pray for you in this place. And if you know this mom, feel free to put your hand on their shoulder lightly, and we'll just lay hands, a biblical concept, and everyone else, we can just extend our hands towards them. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you in this place. We thank you that your presence is here. We thank you for these mothers who in so many ways represents the best qualities of humanity. <laughs> um, and we just honor them. Uh, we honor their story and their sacrifice and their beauty and their goodness. Uh, we, we just ask you, Lord, for your, your arms to surround them right now and that peace would come and that you continue to speak hope over them, over their children, over their marriage, uh, over their future, over their friendship group. We love you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. 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 So good. Yeah, I honor uh, my lovely wife. She's such a good mom, my mother-in-law, and my mom, and all of you guys. So it's really good. Um, what I, <laughs> um, I want to talk about today is uh, about storytelling. And just to be candid with you, I had a message, and I scrapped it and wrote a whole new message last night. <laughs> And so this is this going to be me kind of maybe processing with you um, and allow the Holy Spirit to come and interrupt at any time um, to, to allow the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be the showcase here. I'm not just trying to talk to your mind. I'm really trying to talk to your heart, our heart. And so bear with me as we sort of like tackle some of these topics about the power of story. All right. So in first Samuel, a woman named Hannah uh, had a very complex situation. She, um, she, she had a husband, and then her husband had, a, had another wife as well. Um, just awkward. And she couldn't have children. She couldn't have children, and she was having a really hard time. And so she cries out to the Lord, Lord, if you just give me a child, please give me a, a child. And if you do, I will dedicate him, and I'll offer him to you and allow his story to be connected with your story and I'll dedicate his whole life to you. And that became one of the greatest prophets and judge of the Old Testament, Samuel. And so last week, we got to, many of you guys were here, we got to dedicate our children, many of our children, to the Lord. Wasn't that special? Yeah. It's this biblical concept where we, in the Old Testament, where they took the children of the people of Israel to the temple, and they offered themselves and their children to God. It was, I know that many of the moms and the dads were blessed by that last week. I know I was too. And I think when it, come, when, we, when it comes down to it, all of us, particularly moms, but dads as well, um, have this longing to dedicate our lives, our families, and our children to God and our loved ones to God, right? And we want to see their story. So many of your thought life, parents, is about your kids, I, I know, because I'm a parent too. And so we want their story to be integrated with the story of God. We want our family and our church and this world and this generation to be integrated with the story of God. 
So often there is a counterfeit story though, right? There's these frequencies and these, these counterfeit narratives that wanna come in and infiltrate, infiltrate and sabotage your story. Sabotage the story of your kids. But God has a better story. And so today I wanna to talk about the power of story. God utilizes this reality of story to sort of be a vehicle for his plan of salvation and for ultimate meaning. And so much of it is through story. Bobette Buster says this, narrative is our culture's currency. He who tells the best story wins. I find this very interesting. How many of you guys know that God has the best story and he wins? He will not fail. We, we, we prophesied that and we praise God with those words. But the, here's the reality that there's a war for the story of your life. There's a war for the story of your children and for your friendship group. And so story is really important. Story actually has the power to uh, shape the way we live our lives. Stories we think and tell make us who we are, is another way to put it. And so in, in the book of Romans, uh, Paul, the apostle Paul is writing to the, the church in Rome. There's so much going on, um, but he's really making like this incredible, glorious case for the gospel. And not only like these ideas, but how we should actually think and live and then become the story of God. And this is through the gospel and through the ways of Jesus. So turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12. You know, I think it's crazy and incredible that we have the whole Bible on our phone, like just in our pocket, just casually sitting there. Um, so much of church history is, is, uh, has stories of people fighting and giving their lives for this availability. Um, I find it really awesome. So anyway, Romans chapter 12. Let's read. I'm going to read this whole section, chapter 12, just one and two, actually, one and two. He says this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of, of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. You know, I'd love to just kind of um, pack, unpack some of this and march through this, this, uh, this passage in an expository way. We're not gonna go, we're not gonna drill down deep, but we, I, wanna, I wanna unpack this a little bit. And so verse 12, or verse two, sorry, verse one, he goes on, therefore I urge you, right? I urge you, brothers and sisters. So I wanna ask you, why would the apostle Paul feel like he has to urge us? or urge the, the church in Rome, particularly. Just think about it for a second. They don't want to do it. They don't want to do it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that sounds nice, Paul, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, right, what else? This is very important. This is very important. This, it talks about the importance of what he's about to say. Absolutely. Any other thoughts? I urge you. Sorry, what? It's a command, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Imperative. It's an imperative, yes. Someone over here? Oh, I said eminent need. Eminent need, yes, yes. Yeah, other translation says beseech. I beseech you, right? Absolutely, all those things are, are totally the case. And I think 
I think what it reminds us of is that we as Christians and as human beings, we have a will, right? We have a choice. They didn't want to, right? They didn't want to. They had the opportunity to not do it. They didn't actually want to do it. So what does this mean? I think God is calling us to what? To make a choice. Will we make a choice? I think so often it's just we allow I think, let me just put it for myself, I can be lazy with my own choices. I just let the world make decisions for me. I let work just take over my schedule or whatever the case may be instead of making a choice in the right direction. Um, let's continue. Well, he says this, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters. Why does he, what, what's, what's Paul reminding us with that, with brothers and sisters? Unified? We're family. Yeah, sometimes we need to remind ourselves that we're family, right? We are family. We are, we are the family of God together. I think it's so easy to be casual and just acquaintances, but there is a bloodline that we share together. We are the family of God, hey, brother and sister. This is the kind of care we should have for each other. We continue, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, he reminds us that we need to live our story and live our life in light of the view of the mercy of God that he's shown on us, right? And in fact, Romans chapter 1 through 11 is this incredible case for the mercy and the activity of the mercy of God, all through 1 through 11. And so we are able to offer our lives and our children and our families and our, and our singleness and our motherhood, fatherhood, and dedicate our lives as a, as a result of the works of Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit and his acts, his mighty acts of mercy in our life. And so what's, throughout the scripture, I love this size of this church because we get to actually know each other and we get to have a little bit of a dialogue versus just a monologue. And so I wanna ask you, let's continue with this question style thing. So what's the story of mercy that, that God declares over us in Christ throughout the scripture. So God has done mighty works of mercy throughout the scripture for the people of God and even in our own lives. But looking at the scripture, what are some of the acts of mercy that God has shown us? What comes to mind? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Sacrifice. Sacrifice for us. Love. His unconditional love. What else? Healing. Healing. His patience over us. The Holy Spirit. Wow. Sanctification. Sanctification. Everlasting, life. Everlasting life. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Acts of mercy throughout the scripture. Compassion. Compassion. Yeah, those are so good. I wrote a few down as well. Redemption from our past. Man, some of us just need a fresh revelation of that. Your past has been redeemed. <laughs> Unhitch yourself from it. Justification from guilt and the penalty of sin. God is just, but he has justified us. This is an act of mercy. He's adopted us in Christ, in Jesus, and now we get to identify ourselves, our identity with Christ. He's now placed us under grace. Praise God. And not the law. Thank God. He's given us the Holy Spirit 
to live within us, not just on us, but in our very inner territory. And he promises to help us in all of our affliction. He's not a distant God. Well, just deal with it. I'll be here when you figure it out. No, he's with us in our affliction. Confidence, his act of mercy gives us confidence in the future. His coming glory and the new creation, this is heaven. Confidence and no separation from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And then lastly, confidence in God's continued faithfulness. He will not change. His character is steadfast in that way. This is the story of God's mercy. Let it encourage your hearts. And so let's continue. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This reference to our holy, this is a reference to our holy calling as a royal priesthood. If you believe in Jesus, if he is Lord of your life, then you are a priest. Did you know that? <laughs> Sometimes we just like, wow, I'm, I'm a priest. We are a royal priesthood, and not like the Catholic Church. I'm not, I'm not talking about that necessarily. I'm talking about before God, we get to be representatives of our world and of our family. Mothers, you are the best priests. Nuns, no, priests. And you represent, and you intercede for your world unto God. It's an incredible reality. I think we need to chew on that a little bit. You know, in prayer this morning, we pray, we pray for you, we, we seek the Lord, and we have a, a prayer team. And Dave Hasslinger this morning was praying for you guys. And I felt like he was kind of channeling this reality of being a, a priest, being a part of the royal priesthood. And he was praying for you and he said, may their burdens be put at your feet, Lord. I, I don't even have to ask. I know many of you guys have a lot of burdens. There's things weighing you down, right? Just there's so many things. Just know that we, we are here together. We are a royal priesthood. People like Dave Hasslinger and many others are praying for you. May your burnings be put before the cross. And so bodies, what is this, this idea of, of bodies? Why does Paul use this? It's, it's likened to soul. It's all of you. It's your body. And so there's a connection to it being an offering of your entire being. I think for many of us, it's just like, here, God, you get my Sunday morning from like this time to this time or, or whatever. It's like, I get this and then there's the rest of me and I got to work and it's, I got to hustle and there's, but God's like, no, all of it. Would you offer all of it as a living sacrifice? And I also love this idea of, of our body in the sense of it's not, it's like a reminder that he wants you. He wants you. He doesn't just, he wants all of us, not just what you can do for him. Right? So this is a picture of what body is talking about. I'm, track with me. I'm, I'm getting to a point here, but this is scripture. Like, just munch on this. It's good for the soul. You gotta stir yourself up. Maybe get into the scripture yourself and just get in there as I'm reading, as we're, as we're studying this together. Verse two, let's continue. So much in this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. So this warns us that there is a system, right? There is a pattern that the world operates from. There's a, there's a culture and a manner of thinking that is rebellious against God in this world. And so this system wants to conform us and conform you and I and our, and our children and our, our, our whole paradigm into an ungodly pattern, right? And so this process must be resisted. 
and must be resisted. So how do we do that? Let's continue. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, the battleground between conforming to the world and the rebellion of the world and allowing those patterns to habituate in our own life and the contrast of being transformed lies in our mind for the believer. You follow? Whether we conform to the world and, and the pathway ultimately to destruction or transformation into the pathway of new creation in heaven, it lies in our mind. We need to really own that. Christians must, we must think differently. And so for our purposes today, I want to highlight the profound connection. There's so many angles. It's a diamond. But I want to talk about the connection to, to story and narrative and what we believe and how we tell ourselves, what we tell ourselves connected with this idea of renewing the mind. Because it's, it has the power to shape our personality it has the power to shape our mind and it has, a pow- has the power to shape our lives and our story. And so too many of us, I, I was thinking about this, I think too many of us are sort of caught um, thinking and kind of locked in the past. <laughs> this is locked in like just musing over the past. Like this happened and I did this or this happened to me or this took place. And we get sort of shackled in the past. And I know that there is obviously like chemical depression, and that's, I think that's a different thing. But if we continue to stay in the past and we allow our mind to be in the past, we will get sort of sunken in. And another way you say that is depressed. And so we cannot, we have to unhitch ourselves from the, from the past. And some of us, we, in our thinking, the story we tell ourselves is all about being hurried into the future. What if this happens? What if we need to be there? The future, 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 future. And another way is we get caught up in this like medium grade of, of condition of anxiety. <laughs> it's all about what's, what's next. Can't, just can't sit still. And this affects our marriages. It affects our own mental health. It affects our kids, our family, our church. It affects your work. And it affects your rest. Man, rest is like something that we continue need to talk about because the world doesn't understand it. <laughs> We need to rest. We need to delight in God. These things affect our future. The story, I think, and what we think so is the key to the freedom that we long for and that our, our brain is starving for and the transformation that we desire. And so for the remainder of our time, I want to talk about eight ideas about story, okay? Eight ideas about the importance and the, the power of story. Number one is this. You guys with me? This is good. Number one, the stories we believe and tell ourselves shape our lives. Sounds familiar, right? I just, I talked about that. But I'm repeating it because it's, repetition is important for us to remember this. The stories you believe and allow to go through your mind will shape your life. And it affects, it like, it transmits, what's not transformed transmits. <laughs> and so often it's, it's transmitted to the ones we love the most, and whether that's good or bad. And so we need to take harness of this. Number two, there's a difference between narrative and story. There's a difference between narrative and story. We need to come underneath the right narrative. 
It affects how we tell the story. And so, for example, we have the, the two sides of the aisle represented by, by news stations, right? And so we have, let's say, CNN is going to be sharing a story with a certain narrative. And so it affects the story, does it not? And then on the other side, we, let's say Fox News or something like that, same story, different narrative. <laughs> totally affects the story. It's almost like, is that the same story? It affects, so we have to realize that the narrative that we're telling the story from and like repeating and believing needs to be under the right narrative. And so often I think we're under the narrative of shame, production, materialism, perfectionism, hedonism, like just pleasure, experience, sex, money, all these things, right? And so, and then shame, man. Shame is like, seems to be so pervasive. And so we need to come away from the shame and on that narrative of the world, you're just not enough. You're not enough. Try harder. And we need to go under, underneath the narrative of God's redemptive story of his mercy and all those things we talked about and how that implements into our life anecdotally in, 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 in every day of your life. And you come underneath the right narrative. Number three, I can get, oh man, I wish I had more time. I would just talk about practicals on that. Just go back to the scripture <laughs> and then and just share like the affirmations of the Lord over yourself. Read, read the gospels. Read like the, the faithfulness of the father throughout the history of Israel. See the nature of the, you know, the character of God. Let that permeate and soak into you instead of the, the, the chatter of the world. We can continue though. Number three, when telling your story, so this is not only like thinking of your story and the stories we, we, we believe, but when you tell it, and even to yourself, but definitely to others, we need to do it with gent gentleness, respect, and a clear conscience, okay? First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16 says this, but in your hearts, not just in your head, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Thank you, Peter, for that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's a lot to it, and we're actually gonna do um, uh, pretty much verse by verse, uh, definitely chapter by chapter, uh, study of the, of the book of Peter, 1 Peter, this summer. But for, for our purposes today, I want to highlight gentleness, respect. You know, others have a hard time hearing your story if it's not done with gentleness and respect. Have you noticed? <laughs> like, if you just try to, like, it's, it's not, it doesn't do anything. And we have to do it also with a clear conscience. So what does this mean? We have to just have a purity of heart about this and connection with God. And just kind of have our own integrity about these things. It's not that you have to be perfect, right? We source the perfection of God. It's not on us. But we have to be connected in, a, in purity with God. And this is how we can um, share a story in a penetrating way. Number four, we have to sit with our story. We have to sit with our story. You know, kind of, kind of dovetailed to the last point. As Christians and, and definitely as Americans, I would say, we love to preach, <laughs> I love to preach. We love to preach. And I, and I know that you love to preach too because I've seen many of your social medias and you're, and, and you're re reposting and all that stuff. 
It's in us. It's in us. Um, and, I, and I do it too. But here's the thing. Before we preach our story, maybe we need to sit with it, okay? And here, here's what I'm going with, sit. It's, a, it's an acronym. It's, it stands for Stakes, Intervention, and Transformation. And I got this from um, Rob Stennett, who's a, a pastor in our church, and he's his home campus is in Austin. He's actually going to be preaching next week. And he's just an incredible storyteller. He's a film right, filmmaker and um, author, published author. And he has this like cool hack right here. And so stakes is like, what happens if things don't change? So just think about your own story and like things going on. What happens if things don't change, right? For example, a marriage might fail or a heart might get bitter or addictions might destroy or failure or fear. An intervention is, how did God help you? How did the mercy of God show up? Maybe it was in the context of a small group discussion. Maybe it was in a prayer moment. Maybe it was a phone call with a friend at just like a timely moment. Or maybe it was an actual miracle. And then lastly is transformation. How have you changed to be better, for the better? Maybe for you it's, I forgave my mom. I forgave my father, or I received God's love, unconditional love. I stopped being angry all the time, <laughs> or I experienced peace. So sometimes we need to sit with our story before we preach it, all right? Number five, our, our habits help propel and tell our story, our story in one direction or the other. How we live, the pattern of a life, the way we conduct ourselves on a daily, weekly level will set a trajectory for the story of your life. And so just think about your habits, right? Some of them are life-giving and then some of them are not. And so Jesus, throughout the gospel, shows us a way and a pattern, a path to habituate our life in, in the way of, of, of flourishing and of heaven. And so here's some of them. These are often called spiritual practices. You guys know that I love spiritual practices. I think it's essential for our life as Christ followers. And so some, some basic ones or just fundamental core ones is daily devotion. This is like also known as a quiet time. I, call, I grew up calling it a quiet time. And uh, maybe it's just read, daily Bible reading. Not only devotion, but like study. Figure it out, like, what's the author's intent? What's the context here? Or maybe you just need the scriptures just to speak over your heart and encourage you. And then prayer. And prayer is not just like this monodirectional thing, right? We converse with God, we wait on him, he speaks to us as well. Not only through the scripture, but to our heart and through others. Next is gathering with the believers. This is fellowship in small group. Um, I think it's essential for, for thriving. Practicing unhurry. We live in such a hurried you know, fast world. We need to practice unhurry and rest and slowing and delighting and Sabbath. And then also practicing costly generosity. And this is mercy towards others, being intentional about that. Practicing silence and solitude. Practicing confession and repentance and forgiveness. Man, that can unlock so much. And then lastly, for our example here, is just worship, just praising God. Granted, our whole life should be worship. But what, I'm, what I mean is just praising God, singing to him, reading the Psalms. And so the habits that, that these habits, whether they're good or whether it's these ones or the not like the more toxic ones, will shape, will shape our life in the direction of our story. And so let's choose the way of Jesus. Amen? Yes. 
Let's, let's choose the way of Jesus. Number six, God doesn't leave you to write your own story. And so I just have a, I just have a word on my heart for anyone who just feels alone in this place. Man, I'm just, I'm, I'm just struggling. I'm doing this on my own. What do I need to do? God is with you. This morning, um, we, the theme in our prayer was this peace. And I, I hope you're okay with the slower pace, but I think it's good for our heart to slow down sometime. But I just believe that God, through, the, through this message and through our time together and through our worship response, God wants to impart like a real sense of peace on you. But it takes us to receive it. We have to like almost like turn our brains on and our hearts open. But I believe that God wants to remind you you're not alone on this journey. He's with you and he wants to integrate your story with his. All right, cool. Number seven. <laughs> this one's great. God loves to turn our stories of shame into stories of redemption and hope. He loves to do it. That's my story, full of shame. I still struggle with shame sometimes. But he continues to speak over me. Son, I have, you are redeemed. I have hope over you. I have hope over your church. I have hope over your family. So I want to quickly tell you a story. It's really cool. So it was college t-shirt day at this elementary school, okay? And so this young man, this, this kid comes. Well, he knows that this is, this is going to happen, and he loves the University of Tennessee. And so us in Texas call it fake UT. Um, <laughs> but so he loves UT, fake UT. And, so he, and, and sadly, he doesn't have money to buy a shirt. His family doesn't have money to buy a shirt. And so he made his own shirt. <laughs> he made his own shirt. Maybe you guys, some of you guys recognize that. He makes his own shirt. And his mom was so proud of him and said, you should, you're, I'm so proud of you. You should be proud of this too. You should wear it to school. It's going to be awesome. Right? And so he goes to school and he, it's lunchtime and he sits at the table and there's a bunch of girls there and they start making fun of his lame t-shirt. And they laughed at him, poor guy. And then he left, and he broke down, and he cried. And um, after school, the teacher told his mom what had happened. And so his mom was so upset, like Mama Bear coming out here. Love moms. And she was, she was so upset, she, she wrote a letter to UT and was like, can you please get us a T-shirt so that this doesn't happen again? <laughs> and so the university responds, and was like, not only are we gonna give you a shirt, but we're gonna make your son's shirt the design for our school. And we're gonna, you can, you can come to a home game and the whole student section's gonna be wearing this shirt. Isn't that cool? Hold on. It's good, I know. Not only that, the university said this, this is the type of leader that we want at our school. And so we're gonna offer him a full ride scholarship. Amazing. And it became the best-selling shirt um, for the school. And so I love that story, and I just think that it, it, it kind of evokes our heart and our imagination, but this is what God longs to do for us in our own story. He wants to do this. He wants to take our stories of shame and turn them into stories of redemption and hope to be a reflection of his goodness to the world. Amen? I love it. Last one. 
You guys doing good? Yes. Last one is this. Lies, so non-truth, lies, are the enemy of our story. And so we need to replace these lies with truth. We need to replace these lies of truth. I want to call up Galen Boyd. He's going to help me land the plane here. Let's give it up for Galen. Lies are the enemy of our story, so we need to replace those lies with the truth of God. And so I asked Galen to share a little bit of his, his story. Good morning. morning. It's a great message, by the way. A little background. I grew up um, the oldest of five siblings um, in a Christian home. My dad was a farmer. So when I wasn't in school, I was with my dad. I was his kind of his hand, his right hand person. And, you know, a farmer works from sunup till sundown. And I don't like to get up at sunup, candidly. Um, And that's kind of the crux of the story. My father, uh, frequently, he would get up and come in and want to wake me up and say, let's get ready to go to work. I didn't want to get up, so I'd forego breakfast. He would eat. He would come back in after breakfast a second time, and then he would say, get up, Galen, we need to go. You know, and my dad's, he's a tough guy. Um, (laughs) And so he would go get ready, get his gloves and his hat and everything. And the third time he would come into my room, I'm still sleeping. This time, yelling and screaming, you're a good-for-nothing bum. You're never going to amount to anything. Now, I don't doubt for a second my dad loved me. And I don't doubt for a second that he didn't mean anything malicious about that. He was just kind of prodding me and urging me to get out of bed so we could go work. But the impact that it had on me, that candidly I didn't realize for 33 years of my life, was that on the one hand, I had absolutely no confidence to do anything because I was scared to death. Because in the back of my mind, what I kept hearing was, you're a good-for-nothing bum. You're never going to amount to anything. And so taking risk was totally off the table. And yet, I had this struggle because I would see people, and they had aspirations and dreams, and I didn't really have any because I was afraid to go there. And on the other hand, I had this tremendous fear of failure that was a driving force in my life. And so you can imagine that the, the turmoil that I had, I would agonize, agonize hours on what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And over here, just, you know, the world is telling me, well, you need to pursue position. You need to, you know, pr- pursue power. You need to pursue pleasure and possessions. And that's what I did. And the whole time I was miserable because... I'm going back and forth between lack of confidence and fear of failure. And it was horrific. And the way I controlled it, the way I manipulated it was control. I would work, literally, when I met Marilyn, 
I was working from like 6 o'clock in the morning till 8 o'clock at night every day because I had this view from a cultural perspective that it was, I was, everything was going to be okay if I could just get that, and I, could, I would control it. Well, that all came to an abrupt end when God put me in a situation work-wise that I couldn't control. Literally, I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown because literally there was nothing I could do. And fortunately, this was when I was 33 years old, we had a young man that was staying with us. He was in transition. He was in the ministry, a fairly new believer, extremely prophetic. And so one night, we've been having these conversations. He knew the word inside and out. And candidly, when I would ask him a question about the Bible, he never gave me his, his advice. He showed me what the Word said. And so one night, I'm exhausted. It had been a bad day at work. I'm, it's like 10 o'clock. And so I'm ready to go to bed. And Marilyn, bless her heart, she's like, well, can we pray before we go to bed? And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, that's the last thing I want to do. <laughs> anyway, this young man... Um, begins to pray, and he goes over and starts prophesying over Marilyn. She's on the couch. And it, it, as soon as he did that, the fear of God comes on me because I'm afraid that he's going to do the same. He's going to come prophesy over me, and he's literally going to tell me every bad thing that I've ever done in my entire life. That was my view of God. And sure enough, he didn't stay prophesying over Marilyn, but about a minute or two, and then he came, he, he came to me. And you know what happened? It wasn't hellfire and, and condemnation. It was love. And in fact, this young man, there were times, things were so bad, there were times in, in my car, I'm driving to work, I'm crying out to the Lord, things, you know? This guy... He read my mail. He literally repeated back to me verbatim the things that I said in the car that nobody else knew. Now, that got my attention. <laughs> that night, I gave my heart to the Lord when I was in the eighth grade. That night at 33, Jesus became my Lord. And I had this insatiable appetite to know the Word and through that, that night and then through small group meetings and people praying for me, those kinds of things, the, 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 the sanctification process has, has continued. I'm still a work in progress today. But today, good for nothing bum, never going to amount to anything, has been replaced by I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God didn't give me a spirit of timidity, but of power and a love and a sound mind. And much like Zach said today, that doesn't mean, I mean, I'm taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ because that's the battle. Now, the devil still tries to come and bring lack of confidence. He still comes sometimes in fear of failure. What happens? But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so that's my story. 
And that's what God has done. I was deceived. I was surprised when He didn't bring condemnation. And now I've been set free. I mean, that whole control thing was nothing but a self-imposed prison that I put myself in to try to manipulate my circumstances. And once God, through repentance and recognizing who I was, basically He cut the cords of sin and has freed me up to be who God always knew I could be. And that's available for you too. Amen. Amen. So good. Praise God. I'm going to call up the worship team as we come to a close, but I love Galen, and his story is so redemptive as well, because although he had those lies coming into his story, good for nothing, worthless, bomb kind of thing, like he's one of the most successful people that I know. <laughs> you know? He works for MI6. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But he, he's awesome. I was, wasn't supposed to say that. No, he's just, he's just wonderful. And I think that many of us have, whether we recognize it or not, have these lies that we believe. There's these things that want to come and sabotage and infiltrate our story and speak death instead of life. And so as we come into worship here, I just want to encounter Jesus and allow him to speak the new story of our life. And just we, you know, truth and like our vision for our life just seems to want to like evaporate and leak away so often. So we need to just remind ourselves. Um, one of the acts of worship that is a motif throughout the scripture is to remember. And so let's remember Christ. Let's remember his death on the cross. Let's remember his resurrection. Let's remember his redemptive story of mercy in our own lives. And as we enter in, allow the Holy Spirit to come and search us. And that might seem kind of mystical, and it kind of is, but it's also pretty simple. And I think it could be as simple as, Lord, would you come and speak to my heart? And would you replace the lies that I've been believing with the truth over myself, over my family, over my marriage, over my kids, over this world? And then let's worship him together. Sound good? All right. So let's just enter in right now. Maybe for you it's easier if you close your eyes. Maybe put your hands out in a posture of receiving, like just palms up. So Lord, I just come to you even right now as one who's been saved from the pit. One who's been saved from being lost as a prodigal. You've come and pursued me, Father. You've run after me when I was far off. I was willing to come and be a slave, but you said, no, you're my son. Let's celebrate you. And I know that you speak that reality over everyone in this room, whether they are far from you, Jesus, or they've been walking with you for a hundred years, you come running towards them. And so Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have been sent to us by Jesus to be an extension of the ministry of Christ and to be the one who, who reveals the truth of the gospel and empower us. You are the presence of God with us. And so I ask you in the name of Jesus to flood up from within us, swell up from within us right now. Let's just wait on the Lord right now.
So let's continue in worship and just allow the Holy Spirit to be your leader in this place. And let's respond with worship, vulnerability, with faith, with confession, and let him wash over you with his love. Let's worship together.